If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries Audible books in every genre imaginable business, classics, history, self development, just to name a few. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30 day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash replay and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. Currently, I am listening to the classic One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, Black Fish, Blue Fish, Old Fish, New Fish. Okay, that's、This、genius. Go to audible.com slash replay. That's audible.com slash replay and get started today. Sometimes at the end of these panels, at the end of these conferences, you, you, you don't have a really high energy speaker. We do not have that problem today. We have Mark Cuban. Mark, come on out. Hey, Mark. Thanks. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. you might be a little tired after All Star Weekend. I assume that involves some late nights. As long as I'm not hungover, we're okay. Good.、Uh, YouTube turned 10 years old this,、yep. this week. Famously, when Google bought them, or within a year or so, you said it was a terrible acquisition, boneheaded, would never amount to anything. It hasn't. <laughs> so, what'd you get wrong? How did、um, you get it wrong? I didn't realize how much better Google's lawyers were than Viacom's in a heartbeat.、Um, you know, I don't think there's any question they admitted to all the DMCA violations, the copyright violations. You know, they, they said that it was. A foundation for what they were trying to do, you know, copies of、um, the Janet Jackson wardrobe malfunction.、Um, just nobody seemed to care.、Um, and so they did a phenomenal job. And、I've, one of the lawyers even came up to me and boasted at me, you know, while it was all going on, how much better they were than Viacom. And, and so they kicked their ass. And so they, they, but more importantly, from there, they were able to, to turn it into almost something. Almost something. I mean, think, if you think about what YouTube truly is,、um, they, for the first nine years, they subsidized the bandwidth of the internet, you know, when it wasn't cheap. And it became a, a platform where, you, you know, prior to YouTube, you pretty much had to pay for bandwidth to be hosted. YouTube had to pay for their own and were, was suffering until Google bought them.、Um, and then they came along. And then they managed to evolve it over the last few years to something where you could put content on there.、Um, And、some of it they had to buy, their most popular content they had to buy, Vivo, right?、Um, but they've, they've managed to turn it into a platform where there's some people that go in and watch, I don't know what percentage, they don't devolve that. And then there's the other 99% that people post their own stuff and watch you, their own stuff. You still seem pretty dismissive of it, and, 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 and I think you can debate how well they're doing it on the economic side. They have a giant audience. If you're 10, 12, 13, I don't, I don't know about you that. You go there to watch that stuff. No, I'm not saying they do. You're right. If you're young, you do. Your time is fungible. You'll go in there and you'll search for stuff, and it's a great time killer. Absolutely, positively.、Uh, it's, it's, it's entertainment for them. It's a primary yeah, source. Yeah,、oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But in the context of the whole bigger thing, right, I still believe that you know, some 98, 99% of the content that's uploaded is seen only by the person that uploaded it and their immediate family. 
And so the question is, did you have to subsidize the bandwidth of the internet to be able to create... Not even their best friend? Maybe their best friend, right? Yeah, let's um, expand it a little. I'm but if you post it on YouTube, then it wouldn't matter. I mean, on Facebook, because then your best friend wouldn't see it, because Facebook won't let that happen. But... Um, <laughs> But you get the point, right? Did you have to spend, you know, did you have to go through seven, eight years, nine years possibly to get to the point where you've got um, these YouTube stars that have developed a nice following? I don't know that you What do you think to. YouTube is worth today if Google spun it out? I mean, I, I don't know what their revenues are. I, I mean, I don't know what their profits are. I, I know that, you know, it's, it's not cheap to run. And I know that they kind of have a Google orientation to, to how they run. So you don't want to climb down off this entirely. You still think this is not really I, I, a great you asset. You don't look at it and say, those guys know exactly what they're going, where they're going, and they know exactly how they're going to get there. And there's an obvious roadmap in somebody's mind of what it's going to be. In the they're still fumbling around, but it seems like yeah. they fumbled quite efficiently, or well, quite, look, well, if you, quite if, lucratively. No, it, I mean, they, I wouldn't say they fumbled efficiently. It's just, you know, if you have a billion, how many, how many min, um, hours a minute or whatever? A lot, 600 okay. hours a minute. Up Whatever it is, you're going to find some hits, right? So I would say more that out of, out of numbers, just out of sheer numbers, you're going to find something that resonates with a, a, a large audience at some point. And look, there's also the social things, the Arab summer, all those types of things that have had a huge impact on society, and they deserve credit for that. Um, but at the same time, they tried to um, do subscriptions, failed. Right now they're trying again. They tried to do music. Is anybody on YouTube subscription that didn't get it for free? It's technically, I think, not available for the Okay, public. well, but yeah. But they're watching a ton of videos. They're, because they're paying Vivo and yep. they're, you know. And so, and then you say, okay, what's next? They paid a bunch of people to create MCN equivalents, right? And stop paying them, most of them. What have they done right? So is this, is this, this hostility you have? Oh, there's no hostility, right? Is it, is it, it's just a matter of fact. Is it about YouTube or is it about the web video world in general? No, it's just, no, it's neither, right? Google is Google is Google is Google, and they've applied a Google approach to YouTube, and that's what we've got. And but, in scale, you know, I mean, I would, Google search grows, yet Google usage, in, in, at least from what I see, doesn't seem to grow as much in terms of proactive usage. So, I mean, it's just things, things happen with volume. So how does this tie into another thing that you said, I think, on se in several occasions, including uh, one of our interviews years ago, which was you really thought TV was the key thing of, of the media and not Internet video. Well, bits are what I've said all along for 20 years. I mean, when we started AudioNet in 1995, we started saying bits are bits. Right. And what I've said back when we were doing interviews was that the money is still in TV, and that continues to be the case. The most, the best content is on TV. Now there's a few exceptions, right? But in terms of the majority of good content, even if you look at Netflix, which I think is a phenomenal company, 99% of the content you see was branded elsewhere right. on TV or in, in traditional media of some sort. Right. Right. So it's not like all of a sudden. You know, we've got a subset of YouTube stars. You've got a subset of Vine, you know, six-second stars. You've got a subset of Instagram stars. But after that... And you got some original shows on Netflix. And, and, but few. that's the whole point. There's, there's those 8, 10, whatever, and they're doing a good job of layering those. Um, Amazon is trying to get into the same business. Right. Hulu has tried for years now to try to do it, you know, less expensively. But you're still... The majority of content that we consume is traditional media. Today, but is that because we're in the middle of a move? 
No, okay. in which it's, the traditional media is going to go down, and it's just you know we're we took a snapshot whenever we talked about this last time. You're taking a snapshot. No, because I don't think now. traditional media is going down, right? What I think is it's getting wider. I think Peter Chernin was saying the same thing, right? Where it's it's tougher in the middle, right? Just to throw stuff out there. So before, when there was a finite 57 channels and nothing on, if you were one of the 57, you were going to get a decent audience. But now there's so much fragmentation that it's tough. It's expensive. Video is the ultimate a la carte right now. Internet video is the ultimate a la carte. You have to pay by fight for every bit of audience you can get unless you, you know, follow some viral trends like listicles or whatever it may be. It's not easy to attract an audience on video online. And I think a lot of that is evidence in the fact that most of these MCNs have had to raise a shitload of money or get sold. If they were creating boatloads of cash, you know, they would be right. Like, they were all going to build the next next ESPN, and they decided to sell they, instead. Yeah. Um, but do you think the audience cares now? Do no, you not at all. Distinguish between that's a television show, nope. that's a YouTube show. I don't think so. They if care. that's the case, then, and it's much cheaper to produce web video, and we know that the audience for TV is declining. I mean, I think most. No, of no, the no, 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 no. The audience for TV. Where do you see the audience? Because there's so many channels, right, and in so many places now watching it live. Yeah, there's a declining audience there. But DVR usage is growing dramatically from traditional TVs. Let's take a step back. Bits or bits. What is the difference technically between YouTube, Access TV, and That's your... NBC? That's mine. Yeah, NBC, yeah. right? What is the difference? Well, you source content, then you encode it, then you stream it either live or you store it on a hard drive. And then you find a way through an uh, interface of some sort to either go to that live stream or go to a hard drive store on demand. It doesn't matter whether it's YouTube or NBC or Access. The, the only difference between television per se and traditional internet video, traditional internet video, is that television is on an application specific network. Meaning everything that you see when you turn on your Comcast is digital unless you're in some you know, anecdotal towns. So it's being delivered just like YouTube, digitally. But NBC, Access TV, it's never going to buffer. It's on a network designed for television. Whereas once you get content, YouTube or anywhere else, it's not. But now we're talking about the, the, the delivery system. Well, but it, it, the difference matters in between because and when you turn on your television and you have going, you're going to a screen where there's a number of choices that you're used to going through, right? And depending on your age, the amount of time that you have available to go through those choices varies. When you're 12 or 13, I used to listen to songs and record them, right, and turn them into mixtapes because I had all the time in the world. Right. As you get older, you're not going to go through YouTube and search. You're not going to go through all the different you websites. You think the young search. audience is not watching TV now, and that's, that's, there's no debate about that, right? A, a TV usage for 12, 17, early 20s, that's way up. You think they're going to get a live TV and yeah, start watching, TV. go back to TV or yeah, so, pick up TV just for like, the first look, time? There was, there was a generation that started with 8-track tapes. There was a generation that had cassettes. There was a generation that had CDs. There ain't nobody generation that had DVDs. So this, this, this line of argument should be very comforting to a lot of people here because they've got they're invested heavily in TV and traditional media. I don't think I don't think very I'm not saying I'm not saying they should feel comfortable, right? What what I'm saying is that there's different platforms and you have to be available on all platforms. But you can't just automatically say that because internet is grabbing, YouTube is grabbing, there's YouTube stars, and there's web stars, and there's MCNs, and they're grabbing an audience, that that's a dismissal of traditional media. What I'm saying is it's a compliment, right? When you would, 
again, bits are bits. So when you're Comcast, Cablevision, whoever, you're packaging your bits on whatever is going to make you the most money per bit, right? And that's what, the way it's going to Well, since those companies also now generally think of themselves as uh, broadband pipes uh -huh. as much or more than they think of themselves as delivering TV, um, what's to say Netflix is going to buffer? Everything on the internet is going to buffer. What happens when it doesn't buffer? What happens when the broadband speeds get better and... Never happen. It'll never happen? Because there'll be some little Mark Cuban somewhere that's blasting, you know, Oculus, assuming that there's no net neutrality. If there's net neutrality, all bets are off. That'll fuck up everything. Um, <laughs> seriously, because there'll be a point, however bandwidth is avail much available, there's going to be video encoded to leverage as much of it as you can grab. So if I'm getting my Oculus Rift device from Facebook, and I want to have a game where I'm playing against a neighbor down the street or across the neighborhood, that's going to take up a boatload of bandwidth. So no matter how much more bandwidth we get, it's going to get absorbed. So you, you dangle that out there, net neutrality is going to fuck up everything. Why is net neutrality going yeah. to fuck up everything? I mean, net neutrality at its base is just demonization of big companies, in particular companies like Comcast, AT&T, and the like. You don't, you know, they'll point and they'll say, um, you're, you know, you don't want a website to be slowed down. You don't want a website to be blocked. Yet, you know, there's never been a website that's been blocked. Where there's been throttling. There's never been a website? Name me one. Anybody got one website that's legal that's been blocked? We've got 13 minutes. So, so Reed Hastings <laughs> and Netflix published chart after chart after chart. It said, we weren't able to deliver our, our programming efficiently. Yeah, because they went we to a cheap-ass CDN, right? They bought the cheapest CDN that they could get. So you, you buy the Comcast argument. This is, this is on Netflix, not, not Comcast. On that particular, that's, but that, okay, let's just say Netflix was right. And it became public. It was a, a, a battle between two fairly large companies, like other companies. One really large company. One, and one, one growing company. Smaller. Yeah, okay, yeah, so okay. So huge Comcast, smaller Netflix, and they worked it out. Just like happens in business every day, and it has for you know, hundreds of years and will for hundreds of years more. You know, there was one throttling case Net, um, Comcast got their hands up. That was 2008. And part of the decree, part of what they dealt with was they wouldn't be able to do it again. It would be in violation. So now you've got, when you look at the net neutrality sites, when you look at the messages, it's don't let them ruin the internet. That's just demonizing these companies. There's never, well, they, this happens here, here, and here. Their, their egos can take it. The, the, the convincing argument to me says, look, broadband is an essential part of modern life. We shouldn't allow it to be screwed over by an individual company. And so why for, isn't and the government exact... should step in and, and, and protect that? So, so where's broadband been screwed it? over over the last 20 years? It, it doesn't matter. Shouldn't the government have a regime in place like it did for telephone service? Everybody says, oh, you shouldn't put a So law you want in. a Department of the Internet? Wait a minute. You shouldn't? No, I don't. But we didn't get a department of telephones either. We got a law, a particular one law. Well, in essence, in essence it was. The FCC was the Department of Telephones. Then it was the Department of Television. And this is the same organization that fought to, to fine CBS over a wardrobe mal malfunction for eight years. That's who you want to be running the Department of the Internet. I think, you, you don't think there's a role for government at all? No, there, there's... There are certain rules to play. It's hard to say there's never a role for government, right? I, I don't want to get to that point. There's places where Good. it belongs for you. and there's places where it doesn't belong, right? But at the same time, we're trying to introduce things that don't need to be introduced. Now, some people would say, look, we just want to keep it the way it is so it doesn't change. But the, I've, I've talked to all the FCC commissioners. I made presentations in front of them over the last 15 years. 
and they change every few years, and they're politically appointed. And so the uncertainty associated with that applied to the internet scares the shit out of me. What, what in particular in what Wheeler has proposed scares the shit out of you? Because in six years, we won't know who Tom Wheeler is. Right. Just like you don't know who Julian Janikowski is. It's just like you don't know. I know he is. Well, you know, you know, but people don't remember, you know, and just like he had a different viewpoint than Michael Powell, who had a different viewpoint than the person before him. And then, you know, there's certain people on the commission now that don't agree with what, with what Wheeler's saying. And so there, there's so much uncertainty there versus I'd rather let the so free what, market. So what if Congress passed the law instead of the... Uh, the Depends what's in the law. So if they say no website should be discriminated against or blocked, great. I'm fine with that. I got no problem with that, right? Because that's just Because you know there are bills in Congress. Right. That'll, that'll are you looked, involved in... No. I mean, I've, they've asked me what I thought, and I've told them just what I've said here. It's, it's nothing more than demonization of these major companies. Let me switch gears here. Um, you say the future of TV is TV. You are now a bona fide TV star. You've played on TV, but you've done Dancing yeah. with Stars before, and now you're on a hit show. Yeah. And a hit show is not what a hit show was, but it, you are on a hit show. And whose audience keeps on growing. Um, and I like the show. There's another nice Thank thing you. I'll say on stage. Um, what is it like being a TV star today in 2015? <laughs> not a question I thought I'd get up here. It, I tell you, it's not about being a TV star, because I don't look at myself that way, but the reason I do Shark Tank is very simple. It's the number one show in all of television watched by families together. We send the message every single week that the American dream is alive and well, that it's good, it's fun, it's exciting to be an entrepreneur, and that if some family in Iowa and some tiny town in Iowa can develop a way to mend screen doors, that's better. If you get on Shark Tank, we may be able to help you turn that into a big business. And you see it every day. I have people, people used to come up to me and ask me basketball questions all the time, tech questions. Now they only want to ask me Shark Tank questions. But the way they preface everything is, I watched the show with my seven-year-old. I watched the show with my 12-year-old. And now they understand business. I've had people here, now they understand what I do. And to me, that's phenomenal. You know, it's, it, it, it's, for me, it's not hard to get on a TV show, but it's hard to be in a position where I can reach, you know, eight million people, seven and a half to eight million people live every Friday, and then all the VOD and all the DVRs and everything, the CNBC repeats eternally, it seems like. That's, that's a unique... What's the hardest thing about it? The doing the show? Um, <laughs> managing some of the companies. Um, I've got 12, I've invested in 30, some of them now. One has failed. One, the person is not smart enough to know she failed. Um, <laughs> so this is what, so, okay, since so Shark Tank, the way it works is we're the sharks. They walk up on the carpet. The only thing they tell us, here comes Mark and, and, and Walt, right? right? And then they start pitching us. Right. We know nothing about them. We can't do lookups. So we take notes. In real time, they can go anywhere from 25 minutes for stupid shit to two hours, right? Longest one is two and a half hours. Ooh. And they pitch us. Pitch us, pitch us, pitch, and we ask questions, 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 take notes, and then they edit it down to the 10 minutes you see. Um, if we agree to do a deal, we had the opportunity to do due diligence after the fact. So if someone sits up there, I had one guy say, you know, my widgets cost $3.20 to make. Yeah, if he sold, if he made a billion of them, they'd cost $3, you know? <laughs> and so you get the chance to check on those types of things. I had another um, deal that didn't close because the husband of one of the entrepreneurs didn't think that paying taxes was constitutional and had never filed a tax return. <laughs> so he may have been right, but that's no. Um, so, you know, you get the opportunity to, to cover your, your bases. Um, 
and then 20% of the, the people who pitch don't even make it on air. And why are you investing? Because um, do, you, do you think there's genuine profit? It seems like this is a headache for you. Not is it required? Actual... No, it's not required. Um, but I think when there's somebody that I can help, I'll invest. Um, when there's someone I think that sends us a good message that doing it for the right reasons that I can help make profitable, I'll do it. And then there's some that I think can be huge. You know, I've got this company I invested in called Beatbox Beverages, and they took orange wine. I didn't know there was such a thing, but it's the highest al alcohol content wine, mm. and they put flavor in it, right? And they put. You have it, some with you? I wish, right? <laughs> but you know how Franzia is in the bags and everything. Well, they took a Franzia-like bag and they put it in a box that looks like a boombox from the '80s. You know, if Radio Raheem for Do the Right Thing fans, right? That would carry on, and so. What kids now are doing, you know, they started in Austin and they had a little bit of business. Then it came on Shark Tank. They created more. Then I've helped them do promotions and stuff. And so now there's kids who are throwing parties, only 21 and over, of course, that what they do is they stack the, the beat boxes, right? And they each hold 30, 34 servings. And so there's these parties. Instead of having this keg This like stacked, a giant liability for you, not a yeah. not, no, not no, money It's like any other alcohol, right? It's, it's like selling any other alcohol. But... You know, so it became, I saw it as an opportunity to have, be one of the first viral liquor companies, right? And it's blown up. You know, I was telling um, Lauren before. You don't you know, think Budweiser is a viral liquor company? Not viral. I mean, <laughs> a, a, maybe viral is the way you feel the next day, but it's a. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like Nuts and More, a company that has these great peanut butters that are just healthy and, and geared towards bodybuilders. They're going to do $8 million. We took a company, stand-up paddleboard, tower paddleboards. They did $40,000 when they walked in the door. They're, they're going to do $6.7 million. We just signed them up for Amazon's front page program where they have exclusive deals with Amazon to get presentations there. there there's a lot of really good companies that have blown Sometimes up. Sometimes I detect a current on, on Twitter, and I guess Twitter is the kind of place that surfaces this, from real VCs, from entrepreneurs. Like, what you're doing is not, that's not real investing. These aren't you're, these aren't real entrepreneurs. This is this is a joke. This is these are bad deals. People shouldn't do these deals. They have no clue. That, I mean, whether or not is it VC? No, it's not VC, right? That, that's something we're not looking for one or two out of ten, right, or twenty to hit to cover all mistakes. We're not looking to take these companies public. We're looking. I'm looking to make a good return, but I'm looking to help people build businesses. I mean, I, I like it, right? I, I like the message, but I like to help companies. I like to help these entrepreneurs build their companies. To me, that's rewarding, and it's, it, it is investing because I'm, I'm not looking to lose money. So I, during, during the, the Sony hack, uh -huh. you, a bunch of emails you had, Sony produces the show, Dark some Tank, of yeah. your back and forth uh, with the producers came out. It looked like you were you had an no, antagonist. No, just, 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 just one. Just one email, right? Because only one email came out, and I immediately responded that I'm doing the rest of the negotiation on our app Cyberdust, right, which is an ephemeral private messaging app. And so this was before we even knew that they were hacked. And so the one email came out. I went through, did my whole negotiation on Cyberdust. No one was all the wiser, and we closed the whole thing. So you're, you're good with Sony. Yeah. And then, and then when it comes to ephemeral messaging, right? So I, I emailed you, asked you if you'd come on. You said okay. yes. We had a couple other exchanges. At one point you said, I don't really use email. Uh, you contact me on Cyberdust. Right. right. I kept emailing you. Uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I find CyberS a little hard to use, but also I, to put this conference together. You download we, the update. You're, you're we need email. We need no. Trails. We need email. We're we not, need. Right. We need. We don't. We can't use ephemeral messages. Oh, I agree. I agree. One hundred percent. There's a place for everything, but you know, right now, a lot of the conversations that have happened before. 
you can't put your, your life out there publicly. And so what, what Cyberdust has evolved to is from being purely a messaging app, ephemeral messaging app that's built on safety, to really a dark social network, right? More, it's more like the early days of Twitter, but because it's ephemeral, because it's not public, right? When you, when you, you can follow people on Cyberdust, and like one of my accounts says, the public account is 360,000 followers, right? So if I want to blast out, I'm gonna be at Recode, and I'm gonna send a link after the fact to um, the video of this, it'll go to 360,000 people, they'll be able to click on it and look at it right there inside the message, and then ask me a question. Now, if I did that on Twitter, then you know I've got 2.7 million followers, I'm gonna get 300 people calling me a crackhead or something stupid, right, and trolling me, and I can't really have any type of engagement because the minute you try to have an honest conversation, someone jumps in the middle of it. With Cyberdust, they can ask me a question. I'll, I'll tell you, if you download the app Cyberdust, add me at askmark, A-S-K-M-A-R-K, and I'll answer any of your questions about what we're discussing here. But what here. makes this more honest, just that it's a smaller audience? No, because when, when you ask me a question, so if someone asks me a question at Asmark, then I'm gonna answer them and nobody else sees it. It's not limited to but 100. But why isn't that the same as email? So one-to-one. -one. I'm not giving out my email to, I mean, I have given out my email. No, I understand, to, Mark, but, right. but I mean, it's the same so idea as email. It could be the same idea as big email list, but this is just a lot simpler to create the email list. It's a lot simpler to follow a lot of different people. Again, it's, it's very much like the early days of Twitter when it was far more social, right? But it doesn't have the 140 character limit. There aren't trolls. So it's, it's a fair question to say. There what, are no trolls? If so, sure. Right, so if one of you guys emailed me and said, you know, your, your position on a net neutrality is stupid, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, great, I'm the only one who sees it. I don't respond to it or whatever, no one else sees it. There's no value to being a troll because no one else sees the reply. And so what's happened is these communities have sprung up. So, you know, a lot of Pinterest users, there's, there's discussions of Pinterest, right? There's discussion, you know, divorce girls smiling as groups. And so what happens is people who otherwise might have had conversations on comment, in comment groups, right, or on Facebook, because there's always going to be other people to comment on that, they're not going to be as open. Privacy, you know, engenders openness. And I think that's why we've really started to grow. All right, I, have, I have a sports-related question. Okay. You were quoted recently as saying you don't want anybody using Wi-Fi right. at the Mavs games. Right. Why? I want you looking down at the game as opposed to, or looking up at the game as opposed to down at your phone. Up at the game? Right, meaning, meaning at the game, right, depending on where you're sitting. But when you walk into a sporting event, a lot of people from um, San Francisco here, the Warriors are having a great year. You walk into a Warriors game, you walk into a Mavs game, you walk into what used to be when you walk into a Lakers game, you walk into a Clippers game, you feel the energy. You feel the excitement. That's what makes going unique. When something fun happens, something exciting, you stand up, you cheer, you yell. What other places can you just scream and yell one way or the but other? But you can't prevent people from using, let's no, say, No, I can't cellular. prevent, but I can make the entertainment so good that they forget. Because you're also running counter to the trend, right? Everyone's adding Wi-Fi, everyone wants to make They'll learn the hard able. way. They'll learn the hard way, right? Because we'll spend money to create entertainment. So when there's a delay, when there's a stoppage in play, we'll spend a boatload of money to create this phenomenal videos, right, that are truly entertaining, that actually go viral on the net, you know, that are fun. And so when there's a stoppage, knowing that if we don't do anything, they're gonna start going like this and may actually miss something. You don't, you don't think there's any value in being able to say to drill down into the stats. No, somebody. because that's all out there. If you really cared about stats, you can go to ESPN, you can go to NBA.com. But I mean, right then, you're with your friend. The number of people. You're having an argument about whether so, this 
this player has ever done no this No one argues before. this shit, right? Because you have to ask yourself, what, what do we sell, right? We don't sell basketball. If you remember the sporting events you went, remember your first sporting event? Your first sporting event ever. Probably with your dad or mom, right? Fenway Park. Fenway Park. What do you remember about it? How, uh, here's what I remember about it. I came out of the, out of the uh, you know, uh, stairs up into the seats and it was a sea of emerald green and it was fantastic. And what do you think your dad remembered? The game, something about the game. You don't think he remembered being with you and yeah. looking in your no, face? Yeah, no, he did, of course. Right? That's what we sell. When you don't remember the score, you don't remember the jump shots. Dirk Davisky, one of the most beautiful jump shots ever. I don't remember. That's not what you remember. You know, I'll remember running onto the court after a game winner, right? I remember seeing my son or my daughters, right? I remember the looks on their faces. That's what we sell. We sell special experiences. Anything that takes away from the memories that we are trying to create for you is a mistake. So this is a live event. Let's give you guys a chance to ask a question live in person or else Walt and I will keep pestering Mark. Can we go lights up? Hey, Mark, Jason Rapp. Hey, Jason. This is great. So you talk about the content creators, the distributors, the social networks around them. I'm curious which you like best, and I guess to put another uh, thought on it, if you had to put half of your net worth into one public company for five years, what do you like? Right now, I do Netflix, right? I think Facebook, if it was one or two years, it could be Facebook, you know, um, maybe Twitter, right? Just because from a monetization perspective, I think they're in good shape. But I think from a, you ability to grow and go global and sell, you know, $9 subscriptions or $10, $11, $12 eventually subscriptions, Netflix will grow because it's, it's a, it's a no-brainer cost in a lot of respects. Yeah, hi, Mark. This is uh, Joe Weber from Oink. I'm pretty interested about Cyberdust. I, uh -huh. I read about it in the beginning, and I haven't used it. Um, I'm just wondering, and I, I could ask you, I could look it up, but seeing as you're sitting here, I think you're fair game for me to, to ask you the question. Away. I also think some, you know, other people here probably would like to know. Can you talk a little bit more about how it, how it manages to make sure that your texts are not recorded and not held and give us an idea about how many people are using it and kind of where do you want to take it? Okay, real quick, on Apple you can't stop a screenshot, but what you can, what we do is we don't put your name anywhere on it, so if I called you a nasty name in a cyberdust, it doesn't show my name anywhere, and then we send you an alert. For Windows and Android, we don't allow screenshots on those at all. Now, if somebody takes a video of the video, there's nothing we can do, but that's a rarity. In terms of number of users, we've got 2 million people that have downloaded it, and probably 15% of them are active um, in any given week. If you get a subpoena, there's nothing to show. We don't there's even nothing have, to show. There's nothing. no record. We don't, even, we don't even have server logs. Nothing. And that's intentionally. Nothing ever touches a hard drive. So if you grab my phone and look for remnants and try to forensically retrieve it, you can't. It never touches a hard drive. And so we want to continue to grow it. We started initially as a messaging app, but now it's evolved into, again, we'll call have it the you dark heard of, Have you gotten a complaint from the FBI about no. that? Okay. How are you going to make money? Um, Free. Right now, the way, because we have a browser built in, we've got a bunch of guys who are offering commerce. It's really cool, right? You've got 30 seconds to decide to buy this, and we take a little percentage, and as our size grows, that'll grow. Steve? For the uh, last day and a half, we've been hearing um, a lot of thought by almost everyone participating here on how 
entertainment as we have known it, especially movies, television, are dying. They're changing into something, a lot of disagreement about what. You have a lot of money invested in very traditional forms of entertainment. Yep. You own movie theaters, you own television networks, uh, you own a basketball team. Where do you see, where do you see things going? I mean, I'll, I'll say what I said before, bits are bits. They don't care if they're on little screens, they don't care if they're on big screens. And there's always going to be a place. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in experiential entertainment. Um, you can say movies are going away, but I'm not going to let my daughter watch Netflix with her 16-year-old first date. You know, I want them to go to a movie, right? Um, I want to go to a movie with my wife so I don't have to talk for two hours. Um, <laughs> you know, there, you, people are going to get cabin fever. You're going to see more things shown in movie theaters because it's all digital now as well. Bits are bits, and they will migrate to the most profitable destination for them. The challenge is creating quality bits that, and marketing those bits so that people want to pay and consume them. M music has that problem. Music is the ultimate a la carte industry. You can just take a phone and we can have a trio and do our own little hip hop acapella poco, right? Awesome. You know, um, but that doesn't mean anybody's going to pay us. Right now, no one wants to pay for music and that's the problem. So the challenge isn't the the distribution, the challenge isn't the consumption form factor, the challenge is how do you get people to pay for it? And that's why there's so much uncertainty. But in the meantime, where there's traditional environments, where there's already established ways for people to pay, those pay the bills and they do a good job and I've been making a lot of money at it. Last question here. Hey Mark, Richard Cooperstein. Hey, Richard. Um, I had a question for you about Access TV. Yep. What are some of the most successful things that you think you've achieved with it? Um, why hasn't it become bigger, and what's the future look like? Um, you know, early on, we were, the, we were the first all high definition TV network. This is what used to be called HDTV, right? HD, HDNet, right? So when we started in 2001, people thought I was an idiot because, you know, there would be no, people didn't want high definition television. Um, where we grew with the industry, you know, we had 60, 70% of high def homes up until about 2008 where all the other distributors started offering content that wasn't in HD as HD. And I thought, well, people would care about the quality. I was wrong. And so we've had to evolve a couple times with access. But where we've evolved to at this point is um, geared towards live. So we have live concerts a lot, some live comedy. But geared towards a 40-plus audience. Because as we started to allude to earlier here, the older you get, the, the more valuable your time becomes, the faster your time flies, right? and the less you're willing to work to consume content. And so as long as traditional TV's um, programming guys continue to evolve, and we, we talked a little earlier, if, like I have Verizon's um, in New York, and Fios' programming guide now comes up on my TV. The, the, the station's this big, and then there's all kinds of other, you know, um, VOD ads, et cetera, et cetera. As long as that evolves, I think we're gonna be the path of least resistance. The ultimate thing to remember in all these forms of entertainment is that we're the best alternative to boredom. Seriously. And so as long as we're easier to consume, and right now television is in a lot of respects for anybody who values their time, um, I think, again, the 40 older, I think we'll be fine for the next five years. Do you think you should have an online implementation or a mobile application? No. No? No. <laughs> Could he be clear? Yeah, because the future. Yeah, the, again, 
it, bits are bits, right? And with TV everywhere, those will evolve. If I create an online version, then I have to spend a boatload of money to try to get you to pay attention to it. And that's the downside of being small, right? It's gonna cost me more to get you to come to my little a la carte universe than it is just to piggyback on theirs. And so just from a profitability, just because it's there, I guess, you know, and sometimes knowledge is a bad thing because this is shit I was talking about 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I it's really not, thinking it's, more about the mobile side, actually. But still, whether it's stationary or mobile, bits are bits. And however you want to consume them, you're going to consume them. Got it. Cool, thanks. Real quick, you get the last question of the conference. Mark, Kevin Krim, CNBC. Uh, what's the night, even if you don't believe it's going to happen, what's your nightmare scenario for, for cable and, and, and the breakdown in the economics there? Um, Google and Apple do something in an app universe that blocks people from getting access to traditional content. Blocks people? Yeah. Like they get the uh, sports rights or something like that? No, not even sports rights. You know, you have to get your app approved. Oh no, you take wireless and you're doing too many bits, you know, or your throughput's too much, or, you know, there's already a bunch of line items. You know, so far they've been great, good citizens. I don't know great, but good citizens. But you've got two companies that control the on-ramp to what's becoming the primary, mob primary internet, mobile. And so I think in terms of all content in general, um, since we have to be on mobile in some manner or form, whether it's mine or piggybacking, that that's a huge risk. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Mark, thank, thank you. you for the live Thanks, experiential. Always. Thanks, man. Always. Always. See you next stage.